I don't know if you saw on the news this week, I don't know how you could have missed it, but how many of you guys saw that story about the United Airlines flight that had their engine blow up? Do you guys see that story? Holy moly, man, they were over Denver, and, uh, and I, I just can't imagine being on that flight, you know, how freaky it must have been. Whole thing's on fire there and just blown apart. Um, <clears throat> now, I would imagine that the people took it, at least a small comfort in the fact that at least they had another engine that was working, right? Uh, we still got the one engine, you know, you might think, even so it's a bad day. But amazingly, did you know, even if they would have lost both engines, they still could have made it back to the airport? Isn't that crazy? Um, it, 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 it's, it's crazy when you think about commercial airplanes, all airplanes, but commercial planes too, have what's known as a glide ratio. And uh, it's, it's, it's somewhere between 15 to 1 and 20 to 1, which means that even though a fully laden 777, which is what this airplane was, um, even though that fully laden plane weighs about 600,000 pounds, um, it still could have glided the 36 miles back to the airport uh, just based on their altitude and their airspeed. But the issue is power. Uh, power is what got them to that speed and to that altitude, and ultimately power is what's needed to keep them airborne. Now, I tell you that story because last week we started this mini-series entitled Foundational Values, and we're looking at the four foundational values that are essential for the Christian life. And last week, uh, we focused on the foundational value of God's Word. Uh, today, we're going to shift our focus to the foundational value of God's Holy Spirit. And just like that airplane in Denver, <clears throat> the Bible says in effect that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to get airborne and to stay airborne in the Christian life. God, speaking through the prophet Zechariah, and Zechariah 4 6, said this, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the idea. That word might, uh, it means the, the collective power of many. Uh, that word power refers to your individual power. And so the idea is that it's not by your individual power, uh, singularly. It's not even by your collective power with, you know, uh, the, the power of many people that you would succeed in the Christian life, but it's only by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, we began this series looking at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And right there in that single verse, we really have our first two values highlighted. One is stated and the other is implied. Um, we, have, uh, we have to hear and heed God's word as we looked at last week is what Jesus says. But as well, we have to then put these words into practice. And the Bible says really that both of these actions, hearing and heeding God's word and then putting them into practice, both of them are dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul said, speaking to the Corinthians. He said, God's Spirit searches out everything, and it shows us God's deep secrets. <clears throat> no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. 
And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. In other words, what Paul is telling the Corinthians there is that the Holy Spirit is how we hear and we heed God's word. Jesus said this in that regard. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we need God's Holy Spirit to hear and heed God's word. And as well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is how we then put God's word into practice. God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, promised this. He said, I will give you a new heart and I will put, here it is, a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that, here it is, you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And so the idea is that God's Holy Spirit helps us to hear and heed, and God's Holy Spirit helps us to put feet on our faith. That's the idea here today. So here in Acts chapter 1, we see this foundational value in the birth of the church. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, says this, The former account I made, O Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God, he's either writing to an individual or he's writing to a church that's got the name lover of God, most likely an individual. And when he says my former account, he's talking about the gospel of Luke. And he says, uh, there in the gospel of Luke, basically, I, I told you of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until, verse 2, the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Basically, he's saying, look, Jesus rose from the dead, spent 40 days with his disciples and with others, seen by a bunch of witnesses. Uh, over 500 eyewitnesses saw him in one particular occasion. Um, and during that time, he was just pouring into them the things and the proofs of, of uh, the things that pertain to the, the kingdom of God. Verse four, and being assembled together with them, uh, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John, speaking of John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, and he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you, verse 8, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Luke begins this testament highlighting all that Jesus began. That's the key to the entire book of Acts. Um, it, the implication is that Jesus' work, uh, it's a work that he began, but it didn't end when he went to the cross. 
his work now continues, and it continues through you and me, his, his faithful followers, right? His, his children, those who have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have invited him to be our Lord and Savior, surrendered our life to him. Now what happens is that the Holy Spirit comes to take residence in you, and God wants to work uh, through you. And so this idea is that it continues through us. Um, Luke says there in verse 1 that Jesus gave commandments to his disciples. And one of those commandments is reported in uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, where it says this, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now a disciple is literally one who is taught or one who is instructed and one who then follows. And this is how we continue in Jesus's work today that we are taught and instructed ourselves um, and we commit to following after Jesus and putting feet on our faith and obeying his word as his word is revealed to us in scripture. Um, And then we commit to teaching others also, teaching our kids about Jesus, uh, witnessing to our neighbors, to our coworkers, obediently uh, endeavoring to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But listen, in order for that to happen effectively, guys, we need the Holy Spirit. Which is why, look again at verses 4 and 5, we read that Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Understand that when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, they were freaking out just a little bit. Uh, they, they, they just were totally unsettled with the fact that Jesus <clears throat> was, go- was going to be dying and leaving them. And so Jesus promised them that he would send another advocate to them. Here's how John chapter 14 puts it. Jesus said to his disciples, I will ask the Father... And he will give you, there it is, another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But he says, you know him because he lives with you and later uh, will be in you. And so this was Jesus' command. Now, he says there... I'm going to give you another advocate. That word another, it means another of the exact same kind, right? And then he adds this personal pronoun. He is the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God, just as Jesus is God. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. You have, uh, doctrinally, we call it the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see this truth reflected in one of the most common names for God in the Old Testament, and that's the name Elohim. Uh, The name Elohim is grammatically plural, not singular. And um, it appears in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, um, which explains who God was talking to in Genesis 1.26 when he says, let us make man in our own image. Who's he talking about? Who's the us? Who's the our? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
And so the Holy Spirit's the third member of the Trinity, which makes him God. And this was recited by the Jews all the time in the Shema, um, where they would quote, among other things, they would recite it every day, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, Elohim, is one, right? One God eternally existing in three persons. And Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our advocate, literally our helper, our comforter, our encourager, and our counselor. In other words, what Jesus promised was that God himself would be with us and that he would be in us to help, to comfort, to encourage, to counsel, to lead us into all truth. And with that in mind, it helps explains why Jesus told his disciples there in verses 4 and 5 to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, this is truly amazing when you stop and think about it because these guys, arguably, they were the most prepared that anybody possibly could be to serve the Lord and do ministry. Imagine this. Imagine that you spent day and night, three and a half years, with Jesus Christ pouring into you. Day and night, traveling with him. This is what the disciples did. And arguably, you would think, man, these guys, are, they're, they're more prepared than any Bible, Bible college graduate could possibly be. And even so, the Lord says, look, don't start your ministry. You're not ready. And you're like, wow, if anybody's qualified, it's them, and yet they're not ready. Because the Bible points out that man's wisdom is foolishness to God. And in verses 6 through 8, we see a perfect example of this. Look again there, verses 6 through 8. Um, Jesus says, hey, you, you got to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, when they come together, they ask Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, you remember, this is like, this is what everybody expected. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to kick out Rome. He's going to set up a new rule and reign. He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. This is why Peter rebuked Jesus when he started telling him he was going to go to the cross and die. And he's like, far be it from you, Lord. That's not going to happen. And Jesus famously rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, right? That's, you're not mindful of the things of, of God. You're mindful of the things of men. And, and so this is, this is what's going on here. And so he's like, look, it's not for you to know the times and seasons uh, that the Father has put in his own authority. Here's what you need to know. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you're going to get down to business. And you're going to do what, what I want you to do is to be my witnesses here on earth. Again, being Jewish, the, the disciples, they had these distinct nationalistic loyalties, these religious ideologies, and so they had expectations of what God was going to do. Now, 2,000 years later, with the benefit of hindsight, and they should have gotten it because Jesus told them this, but they didn't get it at the moment. We now, 2,000 years later, we look back and we realize, well, God had no plan to overthrow Rome, uh, to set up his kingdom in his first coming. He'll return in his second coming to set up his rule and reign on earth, but his first coming, that wasn't his plan. Right? His plan was, look, I'm going, I came to pour out grace, to give my life as a ransom for many, and, and to, to suffer and die on the cross so that I could take the sins of the world upon myself. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why he came the first time. He came to pour out love and grace on the cross, and now for 2,000 years he's offering reconciliation with God. 
And maybe today you have not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I would say to you that today Jesus is offering you reconciliation with him. How? You repent. The Bible uses this word repent often. It it simply means to turn. You turn from the road you're on and you turn to Jesus. You confess that you're a sinner. You confess that he's the Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins in your place. And you invite him to be your Lord and Savior. And then what happens is you partake of Jesus' ministry for 2,000 years, which is to reconcile the world to himself. God desires that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And so this was his plan, but at this moment, left to their own instincts, the disciples' internal compass is completely off. And so Jesus says, look, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so then we read there in Acts chapter 2, God pours out his Holy Spirit on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and ever since that day, he has been working in his, and through his church. And so the question then becomes, is he working through you? Is the Holy Spirit working in you? You see, just as the disciples' internal compass was off, the same is true for you and me. We looked at this last week, that there, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And without the leading of the, uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the guiding of the Holy Spirit, orienting you and I to his word, then what it is is we're all just operating in the fog of life with our compasses being off and going in the way that seems right to us. And the Bible calls this the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Paul, speaking to the Galatians, he said this. He said to them, when you follow the works of the flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The point he's making is lifestyle. Not that, you know, you might have a a momentary lapse in in obedience to the Lord and stumble and fall into sin or commit sin even willfully um, as a believer and then have this opportunity to repent. He's talking about those who are living in lifestyle sin. And he says, this is the works of the flesh. But by God's Holy Spirit, God offers to us an alternative way that we can live. And this is known as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul, continuing, speaking to the Galatians, he says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their spiritual nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, Paul concludes, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Understand, here is what the Bible teaches about God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit, he gives to us, number one, to lead us into all truth, John 14, 17. He gives us his Holy Spirit to lead us to true freedom, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. He gives to us his Holy Spirit to help us to pray, Romans 8, 26. 
God gives to us his Holy Spirit to fill us with joy and peace and hope. Who needs some peace today? It comes through God's Holy Spirit, right? And, and the, the Bible makes that abundantly clear to us in Romans 15, 13. He gives to us the Holy Spirit to be our helper, John 14, 15, or 16. He gives to us his Holy Spirit to teach us and to remind us of spiritual truth, John 14, 26. He gives to us his Holy Spirit um, to, to give and empower us in our gifts. God gives you gifts spiritually, and he then empowers those gifts all by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us uh, the Holy Spirit to direct us in how and where we should serve, Acts 13, 2. He gives to us the Holy Spirit to put feet on our faith, Ezekiel 36, 27. He gives to us the Holy Spirit to hear directly from God, John 15, 26. You need to hear from God? It comes through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives to us his Holy Spirit to be corrected regarding what's right and corrected regarding what's wrong, John 16, 8. And so the Holy Spirit does all of these things, but without the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, working in and through you and me, then what happens is that the church is like that airplane in Denver. We're just operating in glide mode. We're just operating on dying momentum, right? And, and I like what Ch Pastor Chuck Smith said in his book, Living Water. He said, without the Holy Spirit in its midst, the church is just a social club or a service organization, but when the Spirit is given his proper place, the body of Christ becomes a dynamic force of change in a sick and dying world. Here's the application. If you've heard God's voice through the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you've responded to God's call to, to receive him as Lord and Savior, to repent of your sins, right? And what happens then is God pours his Holy Spirit out upon you, in, into you, and, and you then gain momentum and you gain altitude in the Christian life based on the Holy Spirit's power in your life. And, and we all have testimonies of this. We all know who we used to be before Jesus got a hold of us. And then what happens is you AB, you've got the before and after picture, and you're like, man, I got some altitude. I got some momentum. Thank you, Jesus. This is, this is going great. But like that airplane, you then have to continue in the Holy Spirit's power in your life. You see, in Galatians chapter 3, chapter 3, we see Paul rebuking the Galatians because they started out in the Spirit of God, but then they stopped following God's compass in their life. And here's what he says to them. Are you so foolish? After starting in the Spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? You see, sometimes we've gained momentum and altitude, but we don't immediately realize it when we've lost the power of God in our life. I think about Samson in the Old Testament, right? Here's a guy who's got momentum and altitude. God had given him great strength to defeat Israel's enemies, <clears throat> but Samson had a big problem. He lost power. Why? Sin. Sin entered into his life. You read Judges chapter 16, and it begins with Samson fooling around with a prostitute. And you get to the end of chapter 16, and you find him falling in love with this Philistine woman and totally compromising his faith. And eventually, he's just taking for granted 
the power that God had given to him. He's just taking for granted the, the, the momentum and the altitude that he's got going in his life. David Guzik said, Samson kept the external features of his vows to God zealously while at the same time sinning blatantly. It's all about this external features, right, of things he was doing. He said he did what so many do when they're deceived by sin. He put his life into categories, and he figured that some categories God cared about and some categories God didn't care about. Well, here's the thing, God cared. And eventually he took away the power that he had given to Samson. And so when the Philistines attacked him while he was sleeping, here's what we read. It's so sad. Judges uh, chapter 16, beginning in verse, the beginning of verse 20, it says, when Samson woke up, he thought, I'll do as I did before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Some of you are like Samson. You're asleep and you don't even know it. And the Holy Spirit's power is not in operation in your life. But because of the past momentum and altitude that, that you achieved, you just can't see it yet. But listen, understand, you're on a glide, glide slope in a plane that's going down. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith one time told us, he said, I wonder what, it, what would happen to some churches, if God just took away his Holy Spirit, I wonder how long it would take him to figure it out. Why? Because of altitude and momentum. So what, what can you and I do about it? Well, back here in Acts chapter 8, Jesus directs his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Notice, what's he say there in verse 5? John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he says again in verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when you're baptized in the Spirit. So that begs the question, what is the baptism of the Spirit? Understand this, all four Gospels, also at, here in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, they record John the Baptist prophesying about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And simply put, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an endowment of power. It's an endowment of power. The idea of being baptized is that you're immersed or covered over. And just as John would immerse people in water as he would baptize them, so the promise is that these disciples would be immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, understand, it's very important for us to note, we see this depicted here as a distinctly separate event from the initial receiving of the Holy Spirit in the disciples' life. In John chapter 20, verse 22, we read that Jesus first imparted his Holy Spirit to his disciples after his resurrection, right? And it was at that point that they, they received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And now, later in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises them to, to baptize them in his Holy Spirit. Here's what that means for you. Our initial receiving of the Holy Spirit is God's work of regeneration in us, where the disposition of, of our hearts is changed, and we are made alive spiritually. And this happens when we confess our sin and surrender and invite Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, and we trust our life to him. We trust his work of redemption on the cross. At that point, you receive initially uh, the, the Holy Spirit who takes residence in you. 
But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's work of redemption through us. And this is where God endows us with power. And this is the power that's necessary to carry out the works that he's asked us to do. You see, in the Old Testament, the gifting and empowering of the Holy Spirit was limited to certain individuals, such as the priests or the prophets or mediators like Moses, right? But the point of the New Testament is that the whole body of Christ, you, put your name in there, you can now be equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to glorify and serve the Lord through obedient acts, Now you ask, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here's how you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You pray for it. You pray for it. Jesus told his disciples, Luke chapter 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Who ask him? And At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't don't get weirded out. This isn't, I don't have a box of snakes in the back room that we're going to bring out and start doing crazy stuff. We're going to pray for the the baptism. It's biblical. That that God, what it is, is power. The word is dunamos. This is where we get the word dynamite from. Right, And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We need power to live out the Christian life. And so you, you'll, I'll give you that opportunity at the end of the service day. You can come forward. We'll pray for you if you're online. You can pray at the end of the service. You can call up and have a, pr- a pastor pray for you. You can pray yourself. Lord, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I believe. I want your Holy Spirit to endue me with the power, the same power that raised you from the dead. is available to you and me. God, I want, I want some of that. And so Jesus tells the disciples to wait for the empowering of the baptism of the Holy Spirit before they start work. And they do, technically, skip to to verse 15 in Acts chapter 1. It says, in those days. What is those days? It's the days of waiting. Because Jesus said, wait. Don't start your ministry. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's those days of waiting And in those days of waiting, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number of the names was about 120. And he said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. And Peter's talking about him. He says, for he, Judas, was numbered with us, and he obtained a part in this ministry, And now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. There's a nice lovely picture for us. Judas took that 30 pieces of silver that he got for betraying Jesus and and he's like, I've betrayed innocent blood and the priests and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, that's your tough luck, right? So what did he do? He took that money, he bought a field and he went out and promptly hung himself. Uh, in, in his guilt and in his shame. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore, 
of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, what he's saying is we need to replace Judas. So, verse 23, they proposed, key words there, they proposed, right? They proposed two people, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, oh Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two that you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And verse 26, the one and only time you're going to read this in the New Testament, they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So what's going on here? Well, technically, Peter is waiting, right? Peter's impulsive guy. I like Peter. I identify with Peter. He's ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. He's like, why do we need to take five days to do something we can do in five minutes? Let's get on with it, right? And, and I love that about him. And so here he's told to wait, right? Guys like Peter don't wait very well. So Peter's like, how can I find a loophole? Well, technically, I'm still waiting. But what can I do while I'm waiting? Well, we can replace Judas. Let's do that. And they propose two people. And so often, when you propose things to God, you're like, God, I don't know which way to go here. So, uh, you know, you got door A, door B. Which one do you want? The door's like, I've chose the curtain. I don't want door A, door B. I got something that you're not even thinking about, right? And the, I think it's a great picture. I think it's a, a, a picture of the powerless work of the flesh because they choose Matthias. You never read them about uh, Matthias again in the entire Bible. But who do you read about? The Apostle Paul. Right? And at this particular moment, what's Paul doing? He's killing Christians. So, so now you're Peter. You go, hey, we got to replace Judas. i got a great idea. Let's pick the cat who's, who's killing Christians. Let's pick him to, to, to be a disciple. Right? The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. People would be like, Peter, have you hit your head? Are you high? What are you talking about? We're going to pick Paul? Yeah, that's who God chose. And, and, and so... You know, there's, a, there's an example here of the fruitlessness of operating in the power of the flesh. But now, I want you to see what happens after the Holy Spirit is poured out. You go to ch chapter 2 of the book of Acts. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire as one sat upon each of them. Here's the key verse. And they, verse 4, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word other tongues, it's the word dialects. It's a period of time when people from all different regions have gathered together in Jerusalem for the festival, and they all speak these different languages. And so what God supernaturally did when he baptized them in his Holy Spirit, he gave them this supernatural ability to speak in native tongues. And so they're all Galileans, but all the people assembled there, they're hearing them speaking of proclaiming the wonderful works of God in their own native language. It's a divine supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And watch the results. Skip to verse 37. Uh, Peter, he's pre he, he stands up after this happens. He begins to preach. All the other disciples are preaching in these, di in these dialects that God supernaturally has given to them. And verse 37 says, when they heard this, they meaning all the people who were gathered, 
they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all, put your name in there, who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with this and many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation, right? And what happens is uh, you see that about 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were saved. It was so radically different from the work of the flesh. When he says, I know, let's, let's just cast lots. Let's roll the dice. Who did, who, which one of these two have you picked? Oh, I guess it's Matthias. Negative, right? Work of the flesh. Work of the spirit, 3,000 people are saved. It's just a remarkable, radical different difference. Jesus promised you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's just amazing this power that's available to you and me. I'll keep the story brief as I looked at the clock, but basically um, in my ministry, I've had lots of times where the Holy Spirit shows up and does radical things that I never could have done, I never could have engineered. Uh, One dramatic story in particular comes to my mind. A couple come in, they're there for marriage counseling and I'm counseling them and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit tells me he's been unfaithful to her, he's committed adultery. Nothing she said, nothing he said told me that that was true. It was the Holy Spirit telling me he's committed adultery. And I'm like, wow. And the Holy Spirit says, call him on it. This guy was a big boy. He was a Marine. He was huge. And, and it's like, you know, call. Oh, I take it back. He wasn't a Marine. He was a, he was a fire captain. Still big guy. Uh, and, and the Lord's like, you know, call him on this. I'm like, uh, he's between me and the door, God. <laughs> So all of a sudden, I said, hey, look, the Lord just spoke, said you've been unfaithful to your wife and you need to confess it. You could have knocked him over with a feather. He broke right there in that moment, confessed his sin. He and his wife, he radically saved, uh, walking with the Lord today. Just God did this beautiful transformation work in their life. There's no way I could have known that. This is the power of God. It's the same power that God promises you through his Holy Spirit. And so putting it all together, listen, once we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, right, then the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And so the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He indwells us. He seals us. He guides us. He teaches us. He helps us to pray. He empowers us. He enables us to produce fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This all comes from the Holy Spirit. Even on the 91 freeway, guys, I'm telling you, he gives you all of this. He convicts the world of sin and and of righteousness and of judgment. He restrains the sweeping spread of evil. He speaks to the hearts of unbelievers, shows them their need for Jesus. But let me remind you, that some Christians have a glide ratio. Paul warned the Ephesians, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. How do you get drunk? You drink alcohol, right? How do you stay drunk? 
You keep drinking alcohol, right? And Paul, in, in, in this, these words of the Ephesians, he's not endorsing alcohol. Drunkenness is a sin in the Bible. What he's saying is in the exact same way that a person who gets drunk, drinks of, the, of alcohol and keeps drinking to stay drunk, he says, for you and me, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to drink in the Holy Spirit and we have to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There in Ephesians chapter 5.18 when he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's be being filled, active, ongoing. We need the filling presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to give you three questions to take a walk with this week, and I would beg you guys that the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is essential in the Christian life. And today, you can be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means for you, some of you, you're, 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 a, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. You love the Lord. Maybe you're bound up with sin that you're like, I can't get, I've got this, this sin and I, and I know it's wrong and I keep repenting of it, but like a dog to its vomit, I just keep going back to this thing. Pray, ask the Lord to baptize you in his spirit and empower you so that not only can you overcome the sins in your life, but then you can say, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. It will blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. Three questions. Number one, how much of what I do is in the strength of my flesh? Take a walk with that. Question number two, what category in Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 26, best describes my walk? In other words, look at the, the works of the flesh and look at the fruits of the Spirit and then superimpose that over your actual life prayerfully because we grade ourselves on a curve. I'm not that bad. I'm not Charles Manson. I'm okay. Yeah, just, just put that over your life and ask the Holy Spirit to show you <clears throat> which category best describes your current walk. Third question, have I asked God to baptize me in the Holy Spirit? 